The West Coast Traveler is an adventure in itself with content created by professional journalists and amazing photos provided by our readers. WestCoastTraveler.com is the newest travel network exploring all corners of Western Canada and the U.S. You'll see stunning photos and videos, read engaging travel features from around Western Canada and the U.S. Experience all the West Coast has to offer. Begin planning your next adventure. Visit WestCoastTraveler.com. This is the Mojon Sports Podcast. A deeper dive into the great personalities we know and love. Now, here's your host, Bob the Moj Marjanovich. Welcome to episode 38 of The Bio on MojonSports.com. Our subject today is Brendan Morrison. Outstanding National Hockey League career, 934 games, 200 goals, 601 points, and of course, part of the famed West Coast Express with the Vancouver Canucks in the early 2000s. Brendan Morrison, The Bio, next. You're listening to the Mojon Sports Podcast. Every athlete is looking for a competitive edge, and you can find one at stokodesign.com. The K1 Embrace system wraps your legs with over 90 feet of high-strength support cables that are directly integrated into an ultra-comfortable compression tape. The cabling is positioned to naturally move with you, supporting your knee when you need it most. You can customize your level of support with two control dials in the waistband. This is the future of knee support. Stokodesign.com Got to tell you about my friends at the Clayton Public House. Talk about a great room. Just huge, spacious, plenty of light. The food is unbelievable. And by the way, did I mention they just rented their patio? Check it all out. The Clayton Public House, 5640 188th Street in Surrey. This is the Moj on Sports Podcast. Time now for our feature bio. Here's Bob the Moj Marjanovich. Welcome to MojoOnSports.com. Episode 38 of our bio series features former NHLer Brendan Morrison. Brendan, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Moj. Man, a lot to get into with you, man. I was like doing my due diligence and remembering some great Brendan Morrison tidbits. We're going to have a fun time reminiscing about your great career and, of course, your great journey. First off, let's start off just by growing up in Pitt Meadows. What was it like? It was fantastic. You know, I, I was born in North Vancouver and moved out to Pitt Meadows basically at the age of two years old. So spent my whole uh, youth in, in the Pitt Meadows area and, and played all my minor hockey in, in Ridge Meadows and all my other minor sports in that area as well. It was a, it was a good place to grow up. I grew up in a cul-de-sac. It was uh, a, a great area for all the kids in the neighborhood to congregate and, and play outdoors. A lot of road hockey, I imagine. A lot of road hockey. Yeah, I, I I wore down a lot of wheels on the rollerblades when growing up. <laughs> so growing up, I mean, obviously hockey is your love. What are your first memories of the game? I mean, I I don't remember the first time I skated. You know, it was it was young. I think my parents said I got on skates at two, but I do have recollections of playing. You know, probably seven years old would be some of my first memories playing. Uh, you know, kind of novice hockey and and. Uh, rotating around to different positions and and um you know early mornings going to the rink growing up in the lower mainland there there wasn't a ton of ice available so as i kind of grew up uh our ice time for our teams for whatever reason was early we'd practice at like 5 a.m on monday mornings and uh so i remember a lot of early mornings i remember coming home from practice crawling back into bed and trying to get an extra 15 minutes of sleep before i went to school 
So you said you played a bunch of positions. What were your goalie, defenseman? I mean, did you ever get well, between the pipes? Rotated through them all, but I, I remember specifically a game in Adam where uh, one of my best friends, and uh, he was the best man at my wedding, his name is Stuart Monin, was our team goaltender at that time. And uh, I, I was playing forward primarily, and, and we kind of started chirping each other that, well, I could do a better job in net than you could do out. And so anyways, the coaches decided to switch us one game and, and uh, it didn't work out very well. I remember it vividly. We lost eight, nothing. Um, <laughs> my goaltending career was over before it really started. I led in eight goals and, and uh, my buddy Stu never scored a goal. So that wasn't a very good switch right there. When did you realize, I mean, were you like a duck to water with the game or, did, or was it a certain point where you realized that, Hey man, I'm pretty good at this game. Well, I think for as long as I can remember, I, I, I just loved the game and I, it consumed me and it, it never felt like it was work. It was always something that I enjoyed to do and it was fun. Um, I was constantly playing road hockey in my cul-de-sac or mini sticks in my house, um, you know, just shooting tennis balls and, and we had an open uh, carport. And I, I always seemed to have my stick in my hand and, and out in, in um, stick handling or shooting and bugging one of my neighbors to go in net so I could uh, shoot on him. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I just felt like it's something I did every day, but I did it on my own timeline. Like I, I didn't have my parents pushing me or somebody else saying, you need to go out and do this. You need to go out and shoot pucks. You need to go. It was just something that I enjoyed doing. Was sports important in your family? You know, my, my parents were, you know, my dad still plays hockey to this day, but he never really played organized hockey growing up. Um, my mom was a, was a pretty good athlete and she was the oldest of five and she had four brothers who were very good athletes and played baseball and, and played hockey and that. But, um, as far as my parents, like competing at, at high levels, like junior hockey or, or, you know, university, they never did that, but sports was always something that we enjoyed to watch or to do as a family. What other sports did you play? Well, I played a variety. I, I played soccer from probably the age of five to the age of 12. Uh, high school played basketball played volleyball I played lacrosse for a couple of years as a teenager uh, I played a lot of baseball that, that was probably my second love I played baseball until I was 16 years old and I remember that summer I kind of had to make a decision because at that time you know there wasn't a lot of spring hockey when I grew up but when I was 16 hockey started to you know overlap into the summer more and, and it, you know it was a pretty easy decision for me to to stick with hockey now, of course, you graduate all the way to the Penticton V's. You get 94 points in 56 games. You you lit it up in the BCHL. What was it about Penticton that allowed you to be so successful? Well, it was a perfect fit for me at the time. Uh, Gary Davidson was their coach and, and general manager, and uh, I really liked Gary a lot. I liked his vision of how the game was played, and, and he had a really good track record of helping guys move on to college, and that's what I wanted to do. And and, you know, Penticton's a pretty storied program there, um, dating back to the V's winning the world championship. And, they, you know, a lot of guys, ex-NHLers have gone through there, you know, Andy Moe, Glenn Anderson, Paul Correa. So, you know, it was, uh, I like the town. I like the fact that hockey was, again, had a good reputation and uh, it, it was just a good fit for me. After that year, you're drafted in the second round by the New Jersey Devils. You mentioned college was always your goal. How tempting was it to turn pro and why didn't you? Well, you know, I, I was always a little bit 
uh, undersized, I guess, growing up. And even uh, when I was in junior, I played junior, I was probably 150 pounds at the most. But I, I at that time, um, there wasn't a, a WHL draft. They just had a, a, a protected player list. So each team could protect 50 players. So one day when I was 16 years old, I went down to the mailbox and, and I had a letter from the Portland Winterhawks saying, congratulations, you've been added to our uh, protected player list. So I did talk to Portland quite a bit, um, you know, even after I kind of had my mindset on going to college, because I, I felt I needed a little bit more time to mature and get stronger and and felt I'd have the opportunity to do that at school. And, and also I wanted to get an education. But I remember uh, multiple times I would come out of the arena in Penticton and Portland would be there waiting for me, like the the, the owner, uh, Dr. Brian Shaw, and their assistant coach, uh, and and you know they just were like, "Hey, it would be a great fit. You come to Portland. We'll, we'll kind of we'll get you a great education package. We got a really good team. You know, we're gonna make a run at the Memorial Cup." So, you know, you, you do think about it. I mean, you'd be crazy not to. But I just felt that I needed some more time to mature physically and get stronger, and 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 I wanted to get uh, my degree from school. I imagine after that 94-point season, you probably had your pick of the litter when it came to NCAA teams. Why Michigan? Well, it was interesting. Uh, I had at the early, there's two signing periods in NCAA in November and then one in April. I had one scholarship offer in November. and uh, But as the season progressed and, and around Christmas time, it, it started to get pretty hectic as far as the amount of phone calls uh, that were coming in and the amount of teams that were interested. But um, I narrowed my list down to uh, to Michigan, uh, Denver, and Maine, and I took visits to all three of those schools. And at the end of the day, I just like the combination of, of one, academics at Michigan has a very good reputation worldwide, and two, they had a, a very competitive hockey program that had a chance to win the national championship or at least compete for it every year. So that was kind of the deciding factor. What was the Michigan experience like? It was phenomenal. And, I, you know, I guess along with, you know, what I just talked about there is, is the fact that, you know, they had Red Berenson as a, as the coach, um, you know, that influenced my decision as well. He, uh, you know, he kind of was the, uh, the pioneer, if you will, for NHL players that went to college and then made the jump to the NHL. So here's a guy who, you know, kind of walked the path of exactly what I wanted to do, but, um, that's uh yeah going there it, it was a phenomenal four years um the year I was recruited there uh football basketball and hockey were all ranked number one at some point during the year so I remember going down on my recruiting trip and I saw two hockey games and then I went to a basketball game and that's when the fab five were all freshmen so I went into the Chrysler arena and you know coming from the west coast college athletics aren't comparable to what the u.s athletic scene is so i walked into the arena and there's fifteen thousand people and the fab five was all it was like you know uh hail uh, dunk here dunk there alley-oop and i i was just in absolute shock of what was happening and just the whole i, I love the environment it was it was it was tremendous but my four years were, were great um you kind of you, you kind of grow up with your team you grow up with your classmates there was nine of us that went in um, in our freshman class together and to this day you know we're still on a, a text chain we we are on that every single day so you know those are some of my best friends to this day and the experiences you have and and um, getting to grow up together is uh, is is quite unique if you were impressed for fifteen thousand people at a basketball game 
What went through your mind the first time you seen a Wolverine football game in the big house with over 100,000 in attendance? You know what? It, it, it's really hard to describe it to people because you're right. So the first time I went to a football game and you hear all about it, but when you're actually in like the, the mob of people that are attending or going to a game or tailgating, it is, it, it blows your mind. Like a hundred thousand people. And they've had, I think close to 400 straight games of that number. It is, it is an event like, like none other, none other. It's uh yeah, it, it's mind-boggling to see all the people get into that stadium, and it's uh, it's it, it's it's quite the sight. Million-dollar question, and you did you ever party with Tom Brady? <laughs> <laughs> never partied with Tom. No, no, we kind of crossed paths a little bit, but never actually partied with him. <laughs> After Michigan, you make your debut December fourth, nineteen ninety-seven. You score against Tom Barrasso in a four-nothing victory against the Penguins. First off, where were you when you got the call and? What went through your mind? Well, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, John McClain was a longtime devil, and he'd been there, I think, in the organization for 18 years or 17 years, and he was like Mr. Devil. And anyways, he ended up getting into a dispute with, with Lou and asked for a trade. So I remember I was in my apartment in Albany, and I got a phone call from Lou and said, listen, you need to drive up to New Jersey tonight. You're going to stay in a hotel. Um, I'm going to meet you in the lobby in the morning, and we're going to fly into Pittsburgh and meet the team i said okay that sound that, that's great so i hopped in my vehicle drove there stayed the night and uh the team had already traveled there so i was kind of wondering well how how are we getting to pittsburgh you know so i met lou in the morning and you have to understand lou is maybe the most intimidating man in hockey like he is very, and i was nervous right but he was great so we actually went to the airport and we got we flew on on the owner dr mcmullen's private jet uh, so there was the two pilots and then just uh, Lou and myself on the, on the jet, landed in Pittsburgh, uh, got a car on the tarmac, went straight to the igloo, had pregame skate with the team, and the guys were great. We had a we had an older veteran team, you know, Scott Stevens and Dave Andrichuk and Marty Brodeur and Scott Niedermeyer, and the list goes on and on. But um, probably the first time in my career, I never really had a great pregame nap because I can sleep anywhere, anytime. But I was obviously pretty, pretty amped up for that night. And we had a good game in Pittsburgh that night. We won four, nothing. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to score uh, my first goal on my first shot in my first game against Tom Barrasso. And yeah, it was pretty memorable. I know fishing is one of your passions. So that first goal, I imagine it's like a fishing story, end to end rush. You deked out through three guys or something, and then you went like, you know, top shelf. Anything it, like that? It was something like that, but slightly different. It was, uh, I think a power play just ended. The puck went D to D. I was kind of cruising through the front of the net there. We got a fortunate rebound, pulled it backhand to forehand and, and raised it over Barrasso. You try to establish yourself as an NHL regular with New Jersey, yet in 1999, you talk about Lou Lamorello being a tough guy who played a little hardball with you in terms of the contract situation. You decide going to the Czech Republic with Patrick Elias. What was that experience like, and what did it do for you as a pro? It was a crazy experience, to be honest. I mean, it was the first time, you know, you really understood that, I mean, it, it's a business, right? And uh, how did we get to that point? I don't know. I mean, when I look back on it, you know, I felt early in our contract negotiations, I was told one thing and then that never really transpired. So, you know, being a young guy, I tried to think what were my options here? And I wanted to come to camp without my contract. And, and Lou said, no, you're not coming to camp without a deal. So 
you know, you get advice from your agent, et cetera. And, and uh, so we decided, well, let's, well, ultimately it's my decision. And, and Patrick Elias was in a similar situation. So uh, I didn't sign my contract. So now I'm like, well, I, I need to get on the ice and play. And, and, and Patty told me that, well, he's going back to the Czech Republic. If I wanted to come with him, I could, and we could play. So I'm like, yeah, I need to play. So we went out there uh, for the entire month of September while training camp took place. And then at that time, with the rules, you had to be back by a certain date, or if you signed with your club, the only way you could play for them that year is if they put you on waivers and you cleared waivers. Well, Lou made it clear, listen, if you guys miss this date and sign, you'll sit the whole year because we're not putting you on waivers. So, you know, I kind of bit the bullet, went back, signed my deal, and um, yeah, this, this was tough. So at that point in time, I had my mind well, maybe this isn't the right spot for me. And maybe as a young guy, I was a bit impatient with everything. I don't know. But um, so I remember going in to sign my deal and and Lou is literally like, you know, patting me on the back saying, listen, let's put this behind us. We're family. You know, I, I, I really like you um, as a person, as a player. And I, I just think you're getting bad advice from your agent. Let's just put this, you know, behind us and move forward. But in my mind, I had already decided that I wanted to ask him to move me if he had the opportunity so here he is trying to make amends and here's here I am trying to figure out the timing of you know Mr. Lamorello if, if, if I, I didn't think that everything went according to plan or you you didn't do exactly what you said you're going to do with the contract negotiation so if you have an opportunity to move me you know I, I would like you to do that <laughs> it looked like smoke was coming out of his ears and he's like Oh my gosh, that was that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do was actually ask him for a trade, and uh, and that drug on for a, a, the season, I guess, until the trade deadline when it actually happened. But I, I had to go back in a couple more times, and that was interesting. I'll tell you, what was it like playing for Lamorello? Because I, I've talked to players that played for him in the past, and it was almost like they said, like playing in the Soviet Union. Everything was regimented, like everything was laid out for you guys. You didn't necessarily have the freedom the players and other teams would have. Yeah, I, I, would, I would think that's a fair assessment. I mean, we were very regimented. We were very, uh, very businesslike. We were very professional. And sometimes, you know, you always think, well, the grass is greener on the other side. But I, I will tell you this, that you learn how to be a true professional playing under Lou and, and, and in that organization at the time. And I think to a man, every single player or person that I know that have played under him say, says the same thing. At times, you you might not kind of question or wonder why you have to do things a certain way, but it's it's the details, right? All these little details that help you become a better professional and and um, you become a better person and, and, and for it. More with Brendan Morrison after these messages. Like what you hear? We'd love to have you on board with us as a partner. If you have a business that could benefit from partnering with us, Please contact us at mojohnsports.com. Whenever it comes to tires or meeting your automotive needs, I only send my friends to one place, OK Tire in Langley. OK Tire in Langley is more than just tires. It's about complete automotive care, and it's about being treated right by my good friends, the Delaney family. Delaney's OK Tire in Langley, 19863 Fraser Highway, 
or call them at 604-530-2545. Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media, you can search hundreds of local listings all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com. Redefine how you lead. Take the next step in your leadership journey with Ignite Management. Become a leader that positively impacts those around you. Create an environment where your team thrives. Be in control of your own development with a detailed analysis of your leadership style, complete with actionable insights and recommendations. Visit ignitemanagement.ca for more info. You're listening to the Moj on Sports Podcast. Brandon, you mentioned it. You get traded, trade deadline March 14th, 2000 to Vancouver. And ironically enough, I believe if I got this right, I remember you told us this during an interview one time, you're with your brother-in-law, Daryl Ray, having lunch when you find out you've become a Canuck. Exactly right. So uh, Dallas was actually in New York. Um, So it was my fiance at the time, went over to meet him for lunch and his wife, was there as well. So it was the four of us at dinner and he was actually doing some uh, radio talk show with, with a station out of Toronto, uh, getting his uh, you know opinion on certain deals. And he was just about to hang up the phone. It was about five minutes to three o'clock Eastern time. And uh, he just said, Hey, has anything else come across the wire? Because I had heard some rumors that things might happen, but you never really know. And at that time, it's not like today where everything is, you know, in the palm of your hand, right? News traveled a little bit slower. So we asked them and they said, yeah, something just came across the wire right now. Like the, the Devils just traded uh, uh, traded for Alex, Alex Mogilny uh, out of Vancouver and, and going the other way is, is Brendan Morrison and Dennis Peterson. So my brother-in-law is like, really? He's like, well, I'm having lunch with him. I'll let him know. So he hangs up and he's like, buddy, I think you're going to Vancouver. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah, they just told me, just came across the wire. So you know, about 10, 15 minutes later, I had a friend, a buddy of mine call me from Vancouver said, Hey, we just saw it on the news here. I'm like, well, I haven't heard anything. So I get back to my, my place in Jersey. It's just after four o'clock and I see it's uh, Marie Carnival calling who is uh, 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 Lou's executive assistant. So I knew, Oh, here we go. Here it is something. So uh, she's like, Brendan, yeah, Lou wants to talk to you. So I'll, obviously that confirmed things. And, uh, so he said, listen, I, I took care of you. I'm sending you home. And, you know, but before you go, I, I want you to come and see me in my office when you come down here and get your gear. So we had a good talk. Like, you know, he said, listen, I, I honestly really didn't want to move you, but, um, you know, just based on the situation and, and we got a good player in return and it, it worked out great for them. They won the cup. And, um, you know, I, I really got a tremendous opportunity to kind of develop further as a player in Vancouver. Any bitterness on the fact that they did win the cup and you had to leave? You know, people always ask me that question and you never know how it's going to play out. I mean, Hey, it's every player's dream to win the cup, but who, if I would have stayed, who knows what would have happened. But so no, for me personally, it was, it was probably the right thing. Yeah. And it's not like it got traded for a bag of pucks. I mean, Alexander McGillney is a pretty good hockey player, but of all the cities to get traded to, I mean, Vancouver, you had to be over the moon. Well, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. Really. Like, like you said, you never know where you're going to end up, but to be able to come home to, to Vancouver and, 
you know, obviously I, I always followed Vancouver growing up and even, you know, playing in the league when I wasn't, I was still in New Jersey, but you always kind of follow your hometown team. And, and I knew they were kind of trending in the right direction. They had some good younger players there. And so to kind of go there at the time I did and, and be surrounded with that group of guys was, was a lot of fun. 2002 in Vancouver, you kind of really established yourself. That's when the West Coast Express is formed. What, what were your first memories of playing with Todd Bertuzzi? And Marcus Nasland. Well, I, I remember it like our, our team was going through a stretch where we kind of weren't having much success for about a week, week and a half. And and I remember walking into the arena in Detroit at Joe Lewis, and uh, you know the lock, the the roster is always posted in the change room in the morning. And uh, I walked in and um, I saw my name between Bert and Nazi because at that time Andrew Castles was who was centering them. So I like, well, I mean, it's just there's pretty good opportunity to play with two guys of that caliber and, and just, you know, go out, just play. Don't be nervous. Just, just go play your game. Don't try to be cast. Just, just go out there and, and, and do your thing. And uh, I think that night we ended up, we, we, I think we lost that game in overtime, but we had a couple goals as a line. They kept us together the next game. I think as a line, we scored three goals and it just kind of snowballed. Like we, we, we hit it off right away. And uh I don't know if there's any truth to this story, but I've heard after the fact that, you know, my college coach, Red Berenson, had been at the rink maybe in the, the day before or in the morning and talked to Crawford and said, listen, I think you should, you know, give Brendan a chance there. He's always played with, you know, high-end offensive guys and he's always been able to to handle that and he, and he has, a you know, good hockey sense. And so I don't know. I, I got to try and validate that or not. But, uh, you know, maybe I got to, you know, uh, some support there from, from red and, and, and Crow just figured why not try it? But yeah, it was, you know, obviously a tremendous amount of fun playing with those guys. We had a lot of success. Um, we were competitive. We were hard on each other. I think each of us brought something different and unique to the line, which ultimately led to our success. Yeah. You guys complimented each other so well. I mean, you know, he had Bert who was the big guy, the power forward could do the job in the corners. You were the playmaker, Marcus Naslin, the sniper. It just seemed like everyone brought a unique skill set to the table. Yeah, we did. And, you know, and and uh, I knew my job with those guys. I had to, you know, be, have a, a bit of a defensive conscience, right? And and I was I was uh, fully in, invested in that. I mean, it was a great opportunity. And, um, you know, there were a lot of heated moments. I mean, those guys both wanted the puck, and it was hard to get them both the puck at the same time. But, uh, yeah, just great friendships with those guys and um you know really i think a time in vancouver that was exciting in a sense just the style that our team played i mean we never seemed to be out of a game you know we we had a penchant for for uh scoring goals scoring a lot of goals coming back and 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 really i i'm not going to say rejuvenate that fan base in vancouver but i i think really create some momentum in, in on the west coast with the teams we had there Mark Crawford, the story with him, the summer crow, if you ever see him in the summer, great guy, full of smiles, jokes, this, that. And then there was the winter crow, as they say, which was short-tempered, had a fuse. What were some of your best Mark Crawford memories as a coach? <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> as long as you want. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, crow was hard on guys. There's no question. But I think my demeanor and, and my kind of makeup and how he uh, coached and motivated me, it, it, I had no issues with it, like at all. Um, I think a lot of times 
you kind of used me as the lightning rod, understanding that mentally I could handle it. And, and even though if it meant kind of trying to send a message to the team or even other players, I, I would be the guy that would get it. I mean, sure, there was some times when I deserved it, but there'd be other times like, you know, I remember, yeah, I don't know, so many things like just, you know, we do a breakout drill and, you know, a lot of times just to gain speed or whatever you, you as a center, you just, you would turn away from the puck, generate speed. And sometimes he'd just blow the whistle. After three guys had just done it in front of me the exact same way. And I did the same thing. He'd blow the drill down the mo what are you doing out here? Like, well, what everybody else is doing, you know, things like that. Or, or, you know, yell at me on the bench, Mo, go down and talk to Bert and tell him this isn't public skating tonight. Well, how about you go down and tell him it's not public skating, you know? Like, oh, it was, uh, it was good though. I, but I remember, so I would always just kind of take it and it was fine. And, but, you know, he gave me a, a lot of opportunity and, and played me a lot of minutes. I played all, power play penalty kill special teams five on five it was great for me personally but you know one there was one time on the bench where I kind of had my mind made up I was kind of irritated about some things and I said if he yells at me tonight I'm just gonna turn around and tell him to shut up so it's early in the first period and he starts yelling and then he just singles me out so I turned around on the bench and I look back and I'm like crow why don't you shut the up. and he kind of did a double take at me you know it's just like I was all heated and he's like it, everyone was kind of looking at me like did you did like did you just say that did Mo just say that so the period ends and he's waiting for me in the hallway he's like I want I want to see you in my office I'm like oh here we go here we go so <laughs> I go down in the office I'm like did you you want to see me and I was still all fired up he said yeah yeah I do what did you say to me on the bench <laughs> I said I said I told you to shut the up he's like yeah i love that i love that that's emotion <laughs> so awesome. it was like you can't you, i couldn't win but uh yeah it was pretty funny yeah you know those connect teams were known such for such great regular seasons such entertaining hockey yet the playoffs were a different story and i'm not going to harp too much on this but we'll go through some of the series 2002 detroit you're up two nothing in that series and of course the lidstrom goal and I don't know about you, but I just think that Dan Cluche gets a real bum rap on that series because that was the third game. You still had a whole bunch of hockey yeah. left to play. Yeah, it was adversity, but championship teams overcome adversity. And just unfortunately for you guys, it just seems you couldn't rebound after that game three loss. Yeah, you know, yeah, I agree with you. Cluche takes, you know, kind of the, the burden for, for that. And it's, it's no one guy wins or loses a series. I mean, that's for sure. It was interesting with Detroit because I remember in game two, uh, we I think we beat them five two in, in in the second game won the first game in overtime and late in game in game two with about two minutes left I was facing off against Eisman and he he looked up look up at me after the draw and said we got you guys right where we want you <laughs> I'm like they're down oh two and I'm like they got us right where they want us and I don't know about that so we go home and man it was a tight game game three it was a tight game you know one one uh, minute left there in the second and. It was the strangest thing. It was like the momentum just completely shifted. I don't know if it just kind of took a weight off their shoulders or if we started to play a little tighter. But anyway, it was a tidal wave of momentum. And and guys that really were sleeping for them the first two games, you know, kind of got going in the third period. And as a goal scorer or an offensive guy, sometimes it just takes 
a guy getting a second assist or a guy scoring a goal and all of a sudden they're feeling it and that's what happened and we just could not could not regain any momentum in that series against those guys oh three minnesota i have a vivid memory when you lose game seven at home and it's you outside the, the dressing room you, you'd walked out you were fully dressed and we had a conversation and the frustration in your voice and the fact that you lost to minnesota um, and the style of game that they played. Um, <laughs> I still think you might be frustrated over that defeat to the Minnesota Wild. That's that's probably one one series that uh, gives me nightmares still. It's, uh, you know, we did a great job coming back against St. Louis. We, we went down 3-1 and we battled back and won that series in seven. And then uh, we played well, really well, the first four games against Mini and we're up 3-1. And, and uh, again, I mean... Uh, you know, we didn't play well in games uh, five and six. In game seven, we're back on home ice and, and you know, we're, we're leading that game two nothing, right? At home with, a, I think, with um, like a minute or a minute and a, two minutes ago in, in the second period. And I remember uh, Merrick Malik was behind the net and he just went to rim the puck and he got the puck off the ice. It ended up hitting a Minnesota Wild four-checker shaft. The puck like went up and over the net, landed in front of the net in the slot. And their player had a wide open at 2-1. Okay, well, we're still in great shape here. But now, obviously, they feel it coming out 2-1. They got some momentum, and and uh, they scored one early in the third. And then we kind of tightened up. But, yeah, it's, you know, it was it was heartbreaking. I, it's still to this day. Um, not that you ever want to look too far ahead, but we knew, you know, Anaheim was probably going to be our matchup, and we'd played well against those guys all year. And, I mean, give them any credit. I mean, they 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 were frustrating to play against. They they stuck with it, and we just couldn't finish. We just didn't get the job done, and it's uh, so disappointing, even to this day. And then, you know, you got the Calgary series in 07. Everyone remembers that late in the game. Cook shorthanded. Ed Jovanovski in the penalty box, jumping up and down, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is it. They're going to come back, and they're going to win this series, and then Marty Jelena ruins the party. You know, like... You're right. And that, and that was a great playoff series, like a really good hard fought series back and forth. Um, you know, we made some good acquisitions at the deadline there, obviously with, with what happened um, leading up to that um, with Bert, but brought in Sanderson, Marty Ruchinski, um, Bergevin, you know, for some depth on D but yeah, we were, we were right there again. And, when Nad, Cookie scored that goal with like 3.7 or whatever seconds left in that game, it was like, this is meant to be. Like, how there's no way we're going to lose this game. Okay, yeah, we still have to kill a penalty. We get that. But, uh, I mean, things happen for a reason. But it's interesting. When I, when I ended up going to Vancouver after, I, and I had no idea this had happened during the game, but I was sitting beside Craig Conroy, and he told me, we talked about that game and, and that series. And he said, you know, in that game, when like when Cookie, Matt Cook scored that goal, I'm like, yeah, man, I, I remember it. He's like, well, yeah, he skated right in front of our bench and kind of like, you know, was like giving it to our bench. And he's like, we went into overtime. We were so mad at him and so mad that he kind of like, you know, shoved it right in our face. And I was like, really? Oh, man. <laughs> you know? And obviously, to get that bounce there and Jelly, the, the closer there, we, we, he got the game-winning goal for, I think, they're all three series leading into the cup final that year. But uh, yeah, that was another tough one, man, like just crushing. 
By that point, we're already starting to see the Sedins emerge as a powerful force of the Vancouver Canucks, of course, now Hockey Hall of Famers. What are your memories of Daniel and Henrik and how they started and their careers and how they finished? Fantastic memories with those two guys. First, first class individuals, like you won't find two better people. And uh, first memories are we had training camp in 2000 and um, we had our training camp in Stockholm. So this was the first year Daniel and Henrik were, were coming to, to our team. So we had camp in Stockholm for, we, I think we were there for 10 days. And basically we, we picked our roster and went to camp. We had a couple extra bodies. So we had 25 people that traveled to camp, which obviously is a small camp. So our team was essentially, we knew who was going to be there with a couple guys were fighting for a couple spots and then Daniel and Henrik were there. And you could tell right away that they were very talented, very talented, but they were physically immature and they weren't, you know, as strong as they needed to be at that point in time and so it was a bit of a learning process for those guys and and you know the just to watch how they kind of tran transform their, themselves over the seven years i played with them was is a huge credit to them i mean the amount of of work that they put in not only on the ice but their off ice training to go from guys who you know for their first couple of years were questioned if they were strong enough to play in the league to you know, coming back and, and being like the top guys in all of our, our off ice strength tests. I mean, it was, it was incredible to, 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 to see that um, transition for those guys and couldn't happen to two better guys. And, and um, I mean, the way they would dominate games on the cycle and create scoring chances out of, you know, tiny areas and, you know, how they improved on their skating and, and all that stuff. I mean, it's uh, it was, it was a real pleasure to watch those guys evolve. One of the things that, you know, when you think of hockey players, you think of toughness. And usually you think of toughness of, you know, the, the big, powerful guys that play the body a lot or, or you know, sometimes will, will get involved in physical altercations. Yet toughness is measured in other ways. And for me, when I look at you in that 07 season, you set a Canuck Ironman record surpassing Trevor Linden's 482 games. And I got a personal story on that one. But how much pride did you take in that Ironman streak? Well, it's it's one of those things like when you're in the moment, you don't you don't really think about it. Like I've always had the mindset, of, you know, this is my job, and this is nothing's going to stop me really from doing it. Like I, I yeah, I, I just, I mean, everybody plays through um, bumps and bruises and injuries, and you know, I think everybody has a pretty high pain tolerance and threshold. You know, I, I got fortunate at times where I didn't have anything major happen. I mean, you have you know tweaks and things like that. I always joke that the key to that longevity is, is staying out of corners. And that's why you have wingers to go in there and get the puck for you. And, but uh, I think it's a bit of a mental makeup, you know, um, for sure. And just, just having the mentality of just, you know, going to work every day. Okay. Back up the truck a little bit. You said nothing major happened to you. I remember one game in Detroit, yeah. Brendan <laughs> Shanahan cross checks you in the mouth. I don't even know if we got a penalty on it. You yeah. lose three. It was it three teeth. You lost four. Yeah. Four. You lost four teeth, and you finished the game, and you never missed a game after that. Well, that's true. I guess that's pretty ma pretty major. Yeah, no, he tomahawked me in the mouth, and at that point in time, I had a had a bridge because I had lost him in junior, and then uh, had another incident where I lost my my crown. So they put a bridge, and yeah, he so he knocked those. I looked down on the ice, and the two teeth that my bridge were tapped, you were snapped in half. 
my bridge was on the ice. And the other thing is my bottom uh, eye tooth went through my lip. So I had about 15, you could, there's a, you could actually like put your finger through my lip. So that was kind of nasty, but uh, you know, like a lot of guys, it's just, I got to get back out there. So I, I remember going back in uh, to the, to the locker room there in Detroit sent their dentist over and they took a couple of nerves out of my, out of my teeth and, I just put a, a cage on it or a bubble and went back out and yeah, finished that, that game and wore that bubble, I think for the next week and just kept playing. But that that's, that's the incredible thing about, I think the mm -hmm. hockey player mentality is even, I mean, you see guys that take slap shots in the face and, and it, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know if hockey players aren't normal in that regard compared to a lot of other athletes. Yeah. I imagine you must laugh your, you know, what off. When you see soccer players that kind of get like nicked and they fall on the ground and they're rolling on the ground like they've been shot you know the high of coming to vancouver obviously was one of your career highlights what was it like when you had to leave vancouver you know it, it was tough like i'll be honest going into my last year there 0708 was kind of right around the time when guys were starting to sign longer term deals and i felt i'd had, had good seven years there and, you know a couple you know, at 70 points, high 60s and three seasons over 50 points. And I felt, you know, I was in another 60 point season. I felt that I could still produce at that level for a few more years, at least, you know, kind of 50 plus points. And I remember just bad, bad, some bad luck, really. So in training camp that year, I got hit in the exhibition game and and I went to make a pass. And the guy kind of ran me on the boards and snapped my wrist back. And I actually thought I broke my wrist. I went back to the bench. I didn't want to take my glove off because I thought my wrist was broken but anyways it ended up having a tendon that subluxed over top of my my ulna so I played with that for three months until Christmas and then I every time I'd put weight on my stick or sometimes take a face off that tendon would just pop out and I couldn't I, I just couldn't battle anymore I just was I was becoming a, a deficiency on the ice so that was in December and I ended up getting wrist surgery I missed uh you know almost three months and came back I think it was my eighth game back. We were in Colorado and I was just, I was driving wide and had on my backhand and had my back foot planted. And I got hit by Carlos Scraskins. And I, I'm like, what the heck just happened here? My knee just feels like it's on fire. Like lightning just went through it. And so I skated back to the bench and, you know, immediately, you know, something's not right. And then that, I, I blew out my ACL. And, uh, so that was kind of the beginning of the end in Vancouver because going into that season, like I really felt, I felt I was going to finish my career in Vancouver. And I thought there was a strong possibility I, I was going to sign a, a deal in that four or five year range. And then, you know, I only ended up playing, I think 30 something games that year, 38 games or something. We missed the playoffs. Nonus gets fired everything changed. They bring in Mike Gillis. And, you know, I, I, I talked with Gillis at the end of the year, kind of face to face. And I, I didn't get a, a, a super warm feeling from him. I, I felt that they did offer me a contract, but I felt it was just more of a, you know, here's a, a token offer for your years of service, you know? Um, so it was, you know, it, it was time to move on, but again, I, I didn't want to, but uh, that was kind of the situation. Then the Rolling Stones tour begins. Anaheim, yeah. Dallas, Washington, Calgary, Chicago. Uh, of all those cities, what do you remember of those stops? And what are your, some of your favorite memories of those stops? Yeah, well, the Anaheim year was tough. That was my first year back after ACL surgery. And I had, I had a tough time getting up to speed. 
So that year was, to me was kind of a write-off. And then I thought it rebounded really well when I went to, went to Washington. And we had we had a phenomenal team that year. We won the President's Trophy. And, and so I thought that year, there's nobody in the East that can beat us. Like, we play the way we're capable of. We're, we're going to go to the we – have a, we have a great chance of making a run here. But um, that was a fun year. Like, that was kind of Obi mania. You know, every rink we would go to, it was just rocking. Um you know, he, it was a traveling rock show with that team. But, uh, you know, again, heartbreak. We lost to Montreal in the first round in game seven. And that's when Yaroslav Halak was out of his mind. We actually, we chased Carey Price, I think, in game three. And they went with Halak. And we can, we'd completely dominate. And we would outshoot him like 36-13 and lose the game. But uh, so that was crushing. And then, um, so after that year in, in Washington, and I had a pretty good year, I think I had 43 points or something like that. And I felt my knee felt great. So I would, I would skate in Vancouver and, and uh, I would skate with the guys, but I hadn't, I was talking to some teams, but I didn't have a contract yet. So, um, Alain Vigneault was still coaching then. So he came up to watch some skates there and he called me in his office after practice one day. He's like, Mo, what are you doing next year? I'm like, well, I don't know yet, but uh, I'm talking to a few teams. He's like, well, why don't you come to camp here? I'm like, what do you mean come to camp? Like I've, I've played, I've already played in the league for 12 years. Like, and I've played for you. I mean, you pretty much know what, it, what I can do and what I can't do. Well, I know, like, I know what you can do and I, I really want you here, but you know, management wants to see, you know, if you, if your legs, if your knee is fine, I'm like, I just played the whole season. I'm totally fine. That goes by. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to camp without signing a deal. Like, obviously it's a bit of a pride thing, right? You've been in the league that long. And, and uh, so I have another meeting with him, and, and he's like, listen, come to camp, you know, without saying you're on the team, just come and prove that you're, you're healthy. And, and, you know, I want you here. Like basically that was his message. And I knew Vancouver was going to be a good team, right? I knew they had a good team. And I knew if I came back there, that obviously my role would be different. And I was fine with that. So, you know, I had a chat with, you know, my family, my wife and my parents and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what, screw it. I'll suck up my pride and I'll come to camp without a deal. And I'm going to make the team. So I went to camp and um, I thought I had a good camp. I, I really did. And I actually had a house lined up to rent. I had my kids enrolled in school. And uh, the last day of camp, I get a phone call to my agent and was short and sweet. Basically, we're not signing. And I was like, I was pretty shocked, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, uh, what's the reason? Like, they, they got to give me some feedback here. Like, you know, so they ended up saying, well, you know, we want to go a bit younger and we want to go uh, with a little bit more size. So I was like, well, I was pretty choked, to be honest with you. Like I, they knew I wasn't going to get any younger or grow during camp. They knew kind of what I was doing. But anyways, so I, I was really disappointed that, that that didn't work out. I mean, I I felt I was versatile enough because I could play the wing you know, I could play on the power play, I could kill penalties, I could take face-offs, I could move up and down the lineup where needed. I knew I wasn't going to be a top-line guy. I knew that. But anyways, it didn't work out. But uh, during uh, the camp, Calgary called me and said, listen, for whatever reason, if things don't work out in Vancouver, like, we'll sign you, like, right away. So, you know, 15 minutes after I get the call from Vancouver, we call Calgary and say, listen, they're not signing me. So I, I got a deal done like literally an hour later with Calgary. You played for a lot of coaches. You mentioned Elaine Vigneault. Who were some of your favorites and why? 
Well, I've I've had you know a lot of different coaching experiences. You know, I I think probably the best technical coach I ever had, and I only had him for a very short period of time, was Jacques Lemaire in New Jersey. The, the way he could break down game was was nothing like I've ever seen, or just run a bench. It was uh, it was um, you know he was kind of he was a master back there. Um, just like stick position things you'd never thought about before, like you're killing a penalty. Okay, the puck's here. Stick positioning here. You want to be here. Um, you know, when you're forechecking up the ice, you want to try and force a D-man to his backhand. Like a lot of things that you you would think that just come second nature, but you, you don't really think about. The details of the game, the minutiae was nothing like I'd ever experienced. So he was he was great. But you know, as far as opportunity and that, like, you know, I'll go back to Crow. He was great for me. Uh, you know, he gave me a lot of, he was hard on me, but he, he, uh, you know, he helped me grow as a player and really, I think, helped me re reach my potential. You know, I had Randy Carlisle in, in, in Anaheim and, you know, Randy was a really, really old school, like just skate every day, just skate. That's all you need to do is just get bag skated. And I, I wasn't, I didn't really like that thought process. Um, I had Boudreaux in, in, uh, in uh in washington and you know he was you know running gun which was fun for players i did and i, and I think you're maybe seeing it a bit there in vancouver just needed to hold guys more accountable right on, on on certain things um but it was still a fun situation to play in brent sutter in, in calgary he was great to me being a veteran guy i think you know he kind of res respected what it that where i was at my point in my career and and uh, yeah, so I had a lot of different guys. And even going back to college, like Red Berenson was a huge, huge influence on me in my career. And he was really the first guy because when I went to college, it was growing up, it's just all offense, offense, offense. All it matters is how many, how many goals you can score, how many points you can get. But he was the first guy to really make me realize, listen, if you want to make that next step and you don't only, you don't only want to be a guy that's, you know, out late in the game on a power play, you want to be a guy that can go out and take a face off and be counted on to to preserve a lead and play defense. So you need to work on on your defensive game. So that's uh, you know that was real key in my development. What was the transition like to the real world? You know, it, it's an adjustment. There's no question. I mean, it's uh, I think everybody handles it differently. Um, you always think you're ready, but when it when it ends, it it ends abruptly. Even though you're kind of semi prepared for it. But I think a huge thing for me was was my family having four kids like there was no time to sit around and think about things it was okay four kids what's the next activity uh you know okay we're going to hockey we're going to soccer we're doing football we're doing baseball we're doing whatever it is dance lessons whatever so that was that was key it was funny i'd always tell my wife and this would always be at the end of the season too um the biggest adjustment i found because you, you as, a, as an athlete you live your life off an itinerary. You know, you're told, okay, be here at breakfast at this time, be at meeting at this time, you know, be here at this time. So the season would end, I'd tell my wife, hey, just make me a list and I'm great at getting things done. And she'd be like, no, no, you, you figure out the list and do it. I'm like, no, no, just make it for me and I'll get it done. So we'd always have this back and forth. So I think just not stepping on her toes, but getting, you know, kind of in, in, uh, in unison as far as, you know, you know what each role is and, and not being don't wait for her to tell me what to do kind of take initiative on certain things you know so that was that was a big adjustment but then 
you know, just staying busy with, with your mind, uh, finding another passion. You know, I, I, um, I've always been, I've always loved the outdoors. I've always loved fishing. So, you know, I, I starting, uh, you know, a, a business in fishing and, and having my own fishing program, real West coast was huge. I'm still doing that to this day, traveling around to amazing locations and, and fishing and, and really trying to promote getting outside, enjoying the outdoors. It's, yes. It's, you know, a big part of it is catching fish, but just disconnecting from your phone and electronics and kind of connecting with the real, the, I call it the real world, which is like being back out in nature and that I started uh, a business with uh, Jeff Sanderson in, in, uh, in Calgary, a rental company in oil and gas, which has been in operation now for 10 years. And then I, when I was playing in, in Washington, I got involved with the group out of Vancouver, the strongman group that, uh, that handles some commercial real estate. So I, I'm still doing that to this day. We have weekly phone calls and we have assets in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan. So I got multiple things on the go. I'm very fortunate that I, I'm able to do it from my house and, and kind of, you know, be flexible. I can do whatever I want with my family, but still get this stuff done. So, yeah, I think the key is just finding another passion and, uh, and, and that, you know, it kind of keeps you busy. You did some color work with the flames broadcast. You see yourself yeah. getting back into that someday. Well, you know what? I, I, I like doing it. It was fun. I don't, I didn't ever see it as a career for me. Although I, I, I enjoyed it. A big part was getting out of the house during COVID, but I have a, <laughs> I sometimes have a real commitment issue of like committing to 40 games and like, you know, a schedule like four months out from now, there might be something else that might come up that I might miss out on. So I have, it's an, it's an issue. I'll admit it. I have, I have a bit of a, a fear of missing out on so, other things. So, and I, and because I didn't see it as a, as a, a career I wanted to pursue. I, I just did it kind of part-time and I loved it. It was fun, but I, I didn't ever see it being a full-time job. So you moved back to Michigan now, reasoning, I imagine closer to the kids. Yeah. we got two kids in college out here and my wife wanted to be closer to them. And so did I. And then two younger daughters, a 17 and 14 year old that, that want to try and pursue uh, school and athletics down here in the U S and, we, we just felt there was a little bit more opportunity down here. So we figured let's, let's go down. We're, we're, we're able to do it right now. So why not go down and try it for a couple of years? Do you ever see yourself coming back to Vancouver? Oh yeah. We'll be back there at some point. Yeah. That's, that's the plan. I don't know when, but definitely, definitely back there at some point. Well, I imagine when you do come back, there's a lot of people that love to talk to you, catch up as we did tonight with these memories. It was outstanding. Brendan, thank you so much for doing this. Moj, it was great catching up. It's been a few years and uh, it's good to see you, man. Awesome. Thank you, Brendan. From the latest community news to informative, entertaining reads for travelers and the cannabis curious, just visit your local Black Press Media community newspaper website to sign up today.